Tonight, we are talking about evangelism, uh, continuing on talking about spiritual disciplines. This is part number four for us, and we're going to talk about uh, evangelism, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, not one of my most favorite things to do sometimes, uh, depending, and so maybe you can relate, maybe you have a little bit of apprehension when it comes to personal evangelism and uh, doing personal evangelism um, in your life. Um, I understand, very much so, uh, and so we'll talk about that tonight as we go through. I got four points basically tonight, uh, I'm just going to jump right into them and we'll walk through them as we go. Um, I want to look at this first, I want to look at this idea that we have a responsibility for evangelism, okay, and within this we're going to define what, uh, what evangelism is. We all have a responsibility to evangelize, or we all have a responsibility for evangelism. Um, some of you don't need to be further convinced of that. Some of you tonight are just like, yep, I know it. Boom, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Let's, let's just leave and go evangelize, right? Let's go door to door. Uh, let's do it. You understand that you have a responsibility to do it, and you've probably taken some personal ownership of it. Um, others of you are perhaps less sure of that responsibility. Um, I mean, right, sure, the church has a responsibility to evangelize and to bring people to Jesus, Right. Uh, and of course, the pastors do, and the ministry leaders, and the super spiritual people of the church. But you might think, well, I'm just, I'm just me. Like, do I really have a responsibility to do this? Um, you know, I don't have a gift for it, right? Like, sometimes we think that we can only do things that we have gifts for. And I think we use that as an excuse sometimes, right? Like, oh, I don't have that gift, so I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Um, I think we all have a, have a responsibility for evangelism. And if we're going to talk about what we're responsible for, we better know what it is first. We better define it, um, especially the word evangelism, because it's one of those Christianese words, right? Everybody know what Christianese is? Christianese is that language that we speak in church that nobody outside of church understands, right? So we have words like evangelism and theology and... Uh, um, what are some other words? Holy, justified, you know, these, these types of things. Like people on the outside, they could probably give you a dictionary definition of them, but they don't really know what it means. Um, and so let's define um, evangelism. I think with sometimes when we define these Christianese words, sometimes, a, uh, sometimes the definition can be complex, right? We defined worship a couple weeks ago. It was kind of a complex definition because worship has a lot of different aspects. I think evangelism can be pretty simple, and I think we're best off sticking with a simple definition of it. Evangelism is simply communicating the gospel. Evangelism is communicating the gospel. That's it. Three words. Simple. Um, and notice that the definition leaves room for different applications in different circumstances, right? Communication could be speaking uh, verbally. It could be in the form of an address to a group of people, like I would be doing to you tonight, um, or like a pastor or somebody else would do uh, in a Sunday school class, whatever. Um, it could be communication verbally in a conversation between me and Larry, or between me and David. We're having a conversation, um, and, and I could be evangelizing by communicating the gospel to uh, these guys. The communication can also be written it doesn't even have to be spoken, uh, and it can even be pre-recorded in audio or video form. Um, we can have all these different forms of communication and all these different ways that we could communicate um, the gospel. And so uh, even thinking about the actions and the way that you live your life, for the people that are watching you live your life, you are communicating the gospel to them, hopefully, or not. 
<laughs> depending on the way that you live. Uh, and so, as we said, we all have a responsibility for evangelism. We all have a responsibility to communicate the gospel. And I want to take a look at a few scriptures to help us understand this. Um, mostly from the gospels is where these scriptures will be. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 28. This is a famous one. I'm sure uh, some of you know where I'm going even before I say the verses. Matthew 28, starting in verse number 16. Uh, It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. And this is a classic verse we often quote, probably at least a few of us have it memorized. We've talked about it before. Uh, And we've said before that the focus of the verse is it's focused on discipleship. It's focused on making disciples all around the world, right? That's what Jesus says. He says, go and make disciples. If we're making disciples, it means that we're helping people to learn more about Jesus, right? And helping people to live their life so that they're following him and serving him with their lives. In order for them to even start that process, though, they have to first be evangelized, right? They have to first be presented with the gospel in order for them to even make a decision about serving Christ with the rest of their lives. Uh, And so they have to have the basics of the gospel communicated to them in a way that they can understand. So evangelism is tied into uh, the great commandment. There's a few more scriptures that we're going to read. Mark chapter 16, verse number 15. It says, and he, that is Jesus, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So Mark 16, Jesus gives similar words to Matthew chapter 28. And so here's the deal that sometimes stories like this work in the gospels. Um, Somebody once told me once, I think it's one of the best ways to visualize the gospels, because the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four books written about the life of Jesus, And if you were to sit down and you were to read through all of them, you would see stories that repeat in in different Gospels. And somebody told me once that the Gospels are almost like, pretend you're standing down on the corner of Main Street and 2nd Street here in Bysville where the traffic light is, and uh, I put four of you, one person on each corner, and then there's a car accident right in the middle of the intersection. Four people all witness the same thing, but all four people might have a different perspective on what happened, and they might recall things differently, and they might emphasize things differently. And so sometimes that's the way things work with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Sometimes we'll get different perspectives of the same story. I think what's happening in Mark chapter 16 as compared to Matthew chapter 28 is I don't think it's a different perspective on the same event. I actually think it's a totally separate event based on all of the other things that are happening in the context. And the reason that's important is because it means that Jesus didn't just tell the disciples once to go and to make disciples or to go and preach the word and to go evangelize. He told them at least twice to go and do it. And usually in the Bible, things that are repeated show that they are important, right? Something to take note of. Um, there's some other verses. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 49 Uh, Then he, again, that's Jesus, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, uh, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, 
beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so we have another quote from Jesus in the book of Luke. Um, it's possible that it could be the same event from a different perspective as Mark chapter 16. But again, um, Jesus is commanding the disciples or he's instructing the disciples to preach and to spread the word because they are eyewitnesses to Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, and so there's an implication that they should be active in evangelism. John chapter 20, verses 19 and 21 On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so the evangelism point comes out in verse 21. Jesus is sending them out. Are you getting a picture of the things that are important to Jesus, especially if, if you were to look at all these, they're coming in like the last chapter of these Gospels. These are the last things that Jesus is leaving with his disciples. And he says it in every single Gospel, illustrates the importance of evangelism. Can I read one more from the book of Acts? Uh, chapter 1, verse number 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons as the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So again, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples are focused on spreading the gospel, communicating the gospel, or evangelism, which is what we're talking about. And you know what? We could do things like this. We could say, well, yeah, Jesus gave all of this stuff, but he was talking to the disciples, right? He was talking to the disciples, and so, you know, they were the ones with the command to to evangelize. And I don't know that that really applies to me, because, again, we're talking about taking a responsibility for this, right? Uh, Except that that thinking breaks down, because as we go through the process of interpreting the Scriptures, which is looking at the context, understanding the history, understanding the background, finding finding the timeless truth, the thing that, that can be applied across all generations, across all time, across all nations... The truth behind all of these scriptures is that the gospel must be spread because there's always people that are lost and don't know Jesus. And so there's never a time where we can say we don't need to evangelize anymore until Jesus comes back, right? Um, And so even in a practical sense, you know what? The disciples died a long time ago, and they didn't come to America. They didn't go to most of the countries that we know of in the world today, Uh, So how in the world could the gospel get to those places if the disciples, you know, didn't make it? Well, somebody has to take the initiative and the responsibility to go and spread the gospel to all these places. Uh, Plus, there's a few other scriptures that deal with evangelism, and we'll look at a few of those as we go on tonight. But um, as for, for the responsibility, I think it's a responsibility that each one of us is tasked with to spread the gospel, um, to communicate the gospel to people Uh, And I truly believe that evangelism is not an option. I don't believe that it's an option for somebody who is a a, a practicing Christian. Um, You know, I think sometimes we, like, treat it like that. We treat it like it's optional. We treat it like it's only for those that are in in special positions or have special gifts. Uh, But it's really for all of us to be involved in communicating the gospel to those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Right? 
So we have a responsibility. Uh, the second thing I want to look at is methods. And after we get through, um, probably after we get through this point, we'll, we'll pause and have a little bit of discussion. I want to look at methods. Um, we did this in Sunday school earlier in the year. We looked at sharing our faith. Um, and so I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on this, but I want to quickly just cover a few methods of evangelism because, um, you know, maybe you're just like, hey, like, I don't even know how I would go about sharing my faith with somebody. I mean, somebody could come up to me and be like, I need to know Jesus, and I wouldn't know what to say to him, <laughs> right? So there's, there's some methods, and there's some things that we can have to, to help us uh, along that. And I've, I mean, I've been in that place, too. Like, I don't, know if, I don't know what I would say to somebody if they were like, I want to know Jesus. Uh, you know, so you have to think through this a little bit. Uh, so there's two methods, two main methods. The first one we're going to talk about is the direct method. This method or approach to evangelism is pretty much exactly like it sounds like. It's direct. Uh, it's blunt. It's to the point. A person employing the direct method of evangelism doesn't wait for the perfect opportunity to come to share the gospel. They create it. They make it happen. Um, and it's best used when you don't try to force the gospel on somebody. Um, you don't try to force a spiritual conversation on somebody. It's really more like opening the door, right? It's not like I'm going to hit you with the gospel, it's let's open this door so we can have a conversation uh, about the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus did in John chapter 4 with the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, the woman approaches the well to draw water, and Jesus takes the opportunity to turn the conversation towards spiritual things. And it starts with talking about water, and then it moves to uh, Jesus presenting the gospel to this woman. And then the woman has to wrestle with the gospel that has been put out um, in front of her. And so again, the person doesn't wait for a perfect opportunity. They create the opportunities. They take the initiative to open uh, the door. And so there's some good conversation starters for employing the direct method. If you are that type of person, um, different things like that could be like, hey, how's it going? And what's the classic response? Everybody's always like, oh, I'm good. I'm great. But you know, sometimes you know that that's a lie, right? <laughs> Sometimes you know that when somebody says, yeah, I'm doing good, you know they're lying to you. And then you can say, no, how are you really doing? And that can, even, that can be a way to open up a door to a conversation. Um, sometimes you can just go right up to people, and I've, I've seen people like this, and I've been with people like this. I'm not this type of person, but they will just go up and they'll be like, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Like not having said anything else to this person, they'll just, right there. If you died right now, would you go to heaven? You know, those types of things. You can do those, those you know, if you're taking that direct approach. Uh, there's other lines that you can use. You can say, you know, I'm curious. Do you ever think about spiritual matters as a conversation opener? Um, what's your opinion of Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? You can use that as a way to open the door. Uh, a really good one would be to ask somebody about their spiritual background. Like, what's your spiritual background like? What did, you, did you grow up in church? Did you grow up in another religion? Um, things like that. It's something to open the door uh, to a conversation, of course, you know, the classic, like, do you ever wonder what happens to us when we die? Uh, and like I said, I, I've been with people that, that will just do that. They'll be in the store, or they'll be out and about, and we'll be having this first, you know, first conversation with somebody, and they'll just drop, drop it right there, uh, direct, uh, right open, not like forcing them, not like, I'm going to sit you down, and you're going to receive Jesus by the time we're done, not in a forceful way, but opening the door for that conversation to happen. Now, here's the thing. I am not one of those people. And I don't think you have to be one of those people to share the gospel. And some of you are going, oh, thank you. I'm so glad you said that. Um, 
<laughs> True story, not everybody's personality really fits with, with the direct method of evangelism. Some people, that's the way they're wired, and they can just do that. Other people are not able to do that. There's some people that are introverts, which basically means that your energy gets expelled the more you have conversations with people. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't talk to people. It just means that it's, it's not your preferred you know, thing to, to be spending all this time talking to people, um, especially people you don't know. There's people that are shy that just kind of don't like really talking at all, again, especially to people that, that uh, you know, they don't know. Um, and you know what? You may, not, you may even be like Moses. Like, I think, about, I think about me being like Moses a lot. I think, like, because I feel this way about myself. I'm like, God, I'm just not good with words, like, especially on the, on the spot. I like to be able to sit down and think about what I'm going to say, not just have to come up with something on the spot. So, you know, Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. Send somebody else to, <laughs> to this person. Uh, and so there's all these different things, and they really clash with that direct method. And so for some of you, the direct method works great. For others of you, it would be the scariest thing in the world for you to have to do that. And I think that's okay, because there's, there's another method called the indirect method, and I think God understands our personalities. And God created us and wired us in different ways, and so our methods of evangelism won't always look the same. Um, the indirect method takes elements of a conversation or topic that you're probably already engaged in a conversation about, and it turns it to spiritual things like God or church or faith. And, and this really shines, especially if you've had a background and a history with somebody, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that you have a little bit of uh, knowledge about, but you can also use it with strangers. Um, and here's some examples. These are, these are like really basic examples of how this would work. Um, you would definitely have to take them and adjust them for your situations. But here's some thoughts maybe to get this going in your mind. Um, think about somebody that moved to a new like city or new location or something like that. Or maybe you have at one point in your life moved to a new place, a new city, a new state, a new location. You're residing somewhere new. What are some of the first things that you have conversations about when you move or when somebody moves. You'll talk about things like, oh, there's a great restaurant over here. You should go check it out. Oh, have you been to this store? This store's really good. They got all kinds of really good stuff. Have you found a good auto mechanic? Because uh, I, I got a name of a guy that you know, I can hook you up with. What if you just ask the question like, have you found a church yet? You don't even have to know if they're Christians or not because that could open the door to have conversations like that. That is the indirect method. You're already having a conversation about something. You're already conversing. You're building a relationship with this person. You can take it and you can turn it to a spiritual conversation. Um, thinking about like your hobbies and your spare time and the things that you do. Um, you know, asking the question as you're talking to people, what do you do in your spare time? Well, um, you know, I like to go fishing. I like to go hiking. I like to work with sound equipment or I like to volunteer at my church's food pantry or whatever, like, you know, in the sound equipment thing, like, oh, where do you do that at? Well, I do that at church, you know. I like to volunteer with kids. Where do you do that at? Oh, I do that at church. You know, it opens up uh, a door for conversation. Uh, think about nature. Nature really is, is a special thing for me. When I'm out and I'm away from everything and I'm in the middle of the woods or I'm around, you know, the lake or wherever I'm at, um, it really draws me to God, and I think a lot of people feel that. A lot of people, even that aren't Christians, feel this drawing of something or someone bigger than themselves when they're really out uh, in nature. And so if you're out there with somebody or you're talking about with somebody, you can ask the questions, you know, um, about, you know, where do we come from? How do we get here? Where are we going? Uh, you know, all those different spiritual things that uh, you can turn it to. 
Just a couple more. Um, sports, believe it or not. You can use sports as an indirect method for evangelism. There are so many Christian athletes. I don't even watch sports. I don't follow sports at all, but I know that there's a lot of Christian athletes because I see about them, and they're, some of them are like headline news people that are in the news all the time. Um, think about the open doors that you could have having conversations with those people. Um, holidays like Easter and Christmas provide good opportunities for us to be able to talk to people that don't know Jesus because, hey, they're big holidays that are out there, and pretty much everybody celebrates them. They may not celebrate them with a religious perspective, but they celebrate it in one way or another, and so we can turn those conversations spiritually. Um, the last one, too, they kind of tie together, is the shared struggles. Shared struggles. Having somebody talk about how they're struggling or how they're struggling with life or having their you know, difficulties in life and things like that, it can open up the door for us to talk about how we've struggled in a similar way and be able to turn the conversation to how God helped us through it or how God gave us hope and peace through Jesus uh, and things like that. And this is perhaps where, where our personal testimonies fit in best. Um, they can be used in a direct approach. I mean, you can just go up to somebody and say, hey, let me tell you what God has done in my life. You can do that, but I think it might work best in this approach where you're talking about, hey, let me, t- you know, I know where you're at. I've been there. Let me tell you what God did in me, or let me tell you some of the things that God spoke to me, or let me tell you how God brought me through uh, this. And then the last one, I told you there were two. There's a third one um, that's, that's very brief, uh, is the invitational method. This method relies on inviting people to uh, attend an event where the gospel might be presented or where conversations about the gospel will take place. It could be inviting somebody to church, to a church service, uh, a concert, a conference, a fun night, a game night, men's breakfast, the well, you name it. <laughs> Inviting somebody to, to these things um, where, you know, the gospel will be presented or conversations about the gospel will take place. And here's the thing about this. Oftentimes, just inviting somebody to these events will open up the door for you to have a conversation about it. So it's not just like, hey, come to this event and somebody else will give you the gospel. You could be like, hey, you want to go to church with me? And then that can open up a door for you to have a conversation with this person about church and about Jesus. Um, And that can kind of be like an icebreaker. So uh, if you want to learn more about these things, I covered them really quick. Uh, If you want to learn more about them, there's a great book that I recommend. It's called Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's by Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg. Uh, It was first published in like 1994. So it's as far as books go... You know, it's getting a little old, I guess, but what's in it is really good. And even though culture has changed some since 1994 and the world's changing, it's still really good and full of really helpful uh, things about evangelism, personal evangelism, uh, how to share your faith with people. It's really, really good book. Um, so I highly rec- recommend checking it out. Um, so anyway, there's some methods for evangelism, and we talked at the beginning about a responsibility that we have uh, for evangelism as well. This point number three, I want to look at success in evangelism. Success in evangelism. We talked about methods, um, but let's talk about success. How do we know if we were successful in evangelizing somebody? How do we know? I mean, if that person decides to accept Jesus after we've talked to them, I'd say the evangelism effort was probably pretty successful, right? Um, not that we're the ones that convinced them, that's God, that's the Holy Spirit, but certainly we had a role to play. We were successful in our role. But what if we evangelize and we share the gospel and the person doesn't respond and come to Jesus? What do we say about that? Does that mean that we shouldn't evangelize anymore? 
Does that mean that we should just leave it to the professionals, you know, the pastors, the super spiritual people, the actual evangelists, people with the title evangelists? Um, of course, most of us are consciously aware of the answer to this question. Uh, and we'll say, well, no, of course not. Of course, if we share the gospel with somebody and they don't come to Jesus, of course we're not a failure. Uh, of course, we shouldn't give up on evangelism. We know that in our minds, but sometimes in our actions, I'm not sure if we really believe that. I read some information from the Barna Group um, about people sharing their faith. Bar- the Barna Group does all kinds of statistics and research about Christians in the church, um, things like that. Uh, I think his, his research, his explanation on this is, is spot on for a lot of Christians, Um, I'm going to read this to you. It says, uh, this is from their study. It says, in asking Christians about their witnessing activities, we have found that nine out of ten individuals who attempt to explain their beliefs and theology to other people come away from those experiences feeling as if they have failed. That's 90% of people who witness, according to their study, and I'm not saying that their study tells the whole story, but 90% of the Christians who witness come away feeling like they have failed in that conversation. Uh, He continues, the reality of human behavior is that most people avoid those activities in which they perceive themselves to be failures. As creatures seeking pleasure and comfort, we emphasize those dimensions and activities in which we are most capable and secure. Thus, despite having the divine command to spread the word, many Christians redirect their energies into areas of spiritual activity that are more satisfying and in which they are more likely to achieve success. And so basically what he's saying in this is that 9 out of 10 Christians who were involved in some sort of evangelism felt that they weren't successful in their efforts. And I suspect that, you know, whether we say that it's really 9 out of 10 or whether there's some flexibility in the actual statistic of it, I think the explanation of it really speaks to where we are as people in our culture about success. When we don't see the results that we ultimately desire, we feel that we're failures. And, and, and there's very few people that have the drive to keep going in the face of failure. That's why we read history books about people that do dare to continue in the face uh, of failure. Most of us want to be those people, but so oftentimes we're not. And so we feel like we failed because we didn't lead this person to Jesus. We shared the gospel with them, but they didn't come to Jesus. And that's typical of the world's way of thinking, but I don't know that that's God's way of thinking, and I don't think that that's a real biblical way to think about it. And I want to read two passages of Scripture in response to this that might help us reevaluate our success in evangelism. The first one is in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 23. This is the story of the rich young ruler, which we all probably know. Uh, Verse 18 says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And so you get this picture that Jesus really presents the gospel to this man, and this man goes away uh, and rejects it. And so by the standards that we, we gave about you know, needing to be successful and having to have somebody come to Jesus or otherwise you failed, by those standards, Jesus himself failed. 
in his evangelism, if that's how we're going to evaluate it, if that's how we're going to judge it. Um, Not everybody that Jesus encountered gave their life to the Lord. Jesus put out the gospel right there to people, and so many people did accept him, but so many people rejected him and walked away as well. And so this judging our, our evangelism as successful or unsuccessful based on whether somebody comes to Jesus or not isn't really a great marker for success in our evangelism. And so then we have to ask the question, well, how do we measure success? How, how do we measure it then? If that's not how we do it, how do we do it? I think the Bible has an answer for that too. Let's check out 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In this passage, um, Paul is addressing the Corinthians, uh, the church, about a disagreement that's arising, um, specifically about which teacher they are adhering to, right? So there's Paul who's been teaching them, though there's this other person named Apollos who's a Christian teacher, has influence over the church, and they're having this argument about who they're going to follow and which teacher's the best. And this is what Paul says in starting uh, chapter 3, verse 3, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth." Uh, and so there's this thing, and it continues on. You could read, you know, the next, like, at least five or six verses of that, um, at least through, like, verse 11. But the idea behind it is, is that we are not the ones that are responsible for bringing people to Jesus. God is the one that's responsible for drawing people to himself. Our responsibility is to present the gospel. What that person does then is between them and God, and the responsibility isn't upon us. And we see that in, in what's you know, said here, especially, especially verse number six, and that's the one that we you know, quote a lot. Um, I planted, so in other words, Paul planted the seed of the gospel in the hearts of these people, and then Apollos watered it and helped it to grow. But God was the one that really brought these people to himself. And so when it comes to success in evangelism, if we're laboring in evangelism, if we're planting seeds, if we're watering seeds, I think we can be assured of our success in evangelism, right? We are doing what God has called us to do. Whenever somebody accepts Jesus as their Savior or not, is once we put the gospel out there, that's in their court. They can ask us questions. We can explain things. We can offer you know, more information. But it's really up to them what they're going to do. And God is the one that's drawing them to himself, but they have to say yes to it. So it's not on us to, to force somebody or to make somebody accept Jesus. We just have to be faithful in planting seeds and in watering the seeds. And one more thing that I'll hit quickly uh, before we finish is this. Evangelism is spiritual discipline, because that's what we're talking about, right? Spiritual disciplines. Um, evangelism, just like scripture and take prayer and worship, is a spiritual discipline. And the main reason probably that we don't witness is because we're not disciplined to do it. Just to be honest. Um, we're not disciplined to do it. That's pretty much the main reason that we don't read the Bible. That's pretty much the main reason that we don't pray. We're not disciplined uh, to do it. And we can come up with all kinds of excuses for it. You know, we can look at the failure thing, which we already looked at. You know, we can't use that as an excuse because now we know the biblical way to evaluate the success of our evangelism. Uh, we can come up with other excuses and things like, oh, I just don't have enough training or I don't have enough knowledge. Um, 
you know, those types of things. Uh, I actually think that's a discipline issue. I don't think it's a knowledge issue, and here's why. In John chapter 9, which we won't read for time, uh, but write it down so you can read it later, Jesus heals a man who has been born blind, couldn't see at all, and Jesus touched him and healed him. Then this man that Jesus healed, who was formerly blind, gets called to go to the Pharisees and answer all kinds of questions about what happened to him. And they're like, what happened to you? How come you can see now? Are you sure that you were really blind when you were born? We better call your parents in and double-check this with your parents. Tell us about Jesus. Who's this person? What did he do to you? How did he do it? All of these questions. This man didn't have any training, really, to speak of. No education. Um, Not even probably much of a forewarning before he got there, (laughs) before the Pharisees. And yet he he boldly stands up for Jesus because it's something that he's personally experienced. And he basically says, you know, look, I don't even know if I can answer all your questions. I just know that I was blind, but now I see. And so he's boldly uh, sharing his testimony in front of really the premier scholars of the day. I mean, there wasn't really anybody that was smarter in, in the religious realm than the Pharisees. And yet this guy is offering his testimony in front of them. Uh, so I don't think, you know, I, I don't think we, we can only go so far with, oh, I don't have the training, I don't have the knowledge. Um, we can even say the things that we've said before in previous weeks, oh, I just don't have the time. But like we said, finding time doesn't come automatically. We have to make time for evangelism. We have to make time to be around those that don't know Jesus. It can be so easy sometimes, especially if you've been attending church for a while, like for years, it can be so easy to have most of the people in your circle be Christians. Because if you've been coming to church for 10 years or more, probably most of your friends are Christians, unless you're still hanging on to you know, friends that you've had from before you were a Christian or maybe from when you were young. Um, you attend a lot of the social events at the church instead of a lot of the social events that some of your other friends might attend. You know, this becomes your family and your social circle. And it can, I mean, it does take work sometimes to get outside and actually rub shoulders with people that aren't Christians. Um, and so we have to build, you know, we have to set aside time to build those friendships and, and relationships with people that aren't Christians so we can evangelize them. Uh, or we have to take time to, you know, whatever, go door to door. Um, that's not me. That's not my personality. That's more the direct method, right? Knock on the door. Do you, hey, do you know Jesus? Uh, hey, can I pray with you about something? Um, you know, but there's people that do that. We have to make time to do those things. Um, and also, I just I say this. Um, I think a lot of times we we think that we do this with a lot of things, not just evangelism. We think that when it comes to praying about God, should we pray and ask for God's will? Yes, absolutely. We should pray and ask about God's will. But so many times we pray and we pray and we pray and we look for these big signs and these big things that God's going to do as a confirmation for us for things that we already know that we should be doing. I say that just as much about myself, right? Like I pray and I pray and I pray and I'm like, God, is it your will for this? And he's like, yes. If we sit down and we say, God, is it your will that I pray, you know, that I evangelize with this person, that I tell them about the gospel? The answer is always yes. (laughs) because God is always wanting to bring people to himself, and God's always wanting to, to, you know, have us spread the gospel. So uh, just do it, you know? Don't wait for, like, the perfect moment. Don't wait for the big confirmations. Just do it. Um, 
One more verse to share with you before we have some discussion. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. says this, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And, uh, you know, there's a few phrases that we could emphasize in these verses. Um, because in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, right? Like, we're not talking about dealing with people in the church. We're talking about dealing with people outside the church. And a few phrases that we can emphasize. He says, walk in wisdom. Make the best use of your time. And in verse 6, he says at the end, he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's some words and some phrases that, that pop out. Um, they don't sound like like they're written to inspire people to just sit around and wait for an opportunity. They sound like they were written to inspire people and encourage people to be wise, to look for opportunities, to be, you know, have some things prepared, their testimony, have some examples prepared, have some things prepared so that when the time comes, you're not just fumbling over your words or you're fumbling through things in your mind to say, but that you are prepared Um, that you know how to answer each person, that you can make the best use of the time and the opportunities uh, that you have been given to share. So that's where we're at. We looked at evangelism and the responsibility for evangelism, methods for evangelism, success in evangelism, and lastly, uh, evangelism as a spiritual discipline. So if nothing else, you at least have a lot of scripture references that you can take home and continue to study and, uh, and read. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll dismiss. Father God, we're so thankful for uh, your word. God, thankful for your Holy Spirit that empowers us. Lord, thankful that we have had people uh, at one point or another in our lives who came and shared the gospel with us. And Lord, we're thankful that you have uh, confirmed it to our hearts and that you've brought us to the place that we are today. God, I pray that you'd help us in our uh, evangelism efforts, God, to be uh, faithful to you and faithful to the things that you have Uh, commanded us to do, Lord, as far as spreading the gospel and reaching out and witnessing to those who don't know you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be um, fruitful and successful in the things that we do, not in terms of uh, the numbers or not in terms of which step of the process that we're on, Lord, but uh, faithful to the things that you uh, want us to do, Lord, sharing the gospel um, clearly in a way that people can understand it, Lord, and uh, being available to Uh, tell people our testimony and tell people the things that you've done in us and through us. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would just help us everywhere we go to be aware of the opportunities and the open doors that you put in front of us. And uh, we just pray that you would do great things. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much. And we ask this in your name tonight. Amen.